You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Well, Joel Klatt was here for oh. the start of the Peyton Manning era, and uh, he and I were together when the announcement yes! was made, and that's what it sounded like. So I have a I have a feeling, as we welcome in Joel Klatt for his weekly visit presented by Audi Flatirons, Joel, good morning, that if the Broncos were able to pull off a trade for Aaron Rodgers and it was only for three or four years, you'd be happy with that? Of course. Of course. That's all you're trying to ever do in any league, by the way, but certainly in the NFL, is get a championship window. And when you have a quarterback, you have a championship window, and that window is open. Their roster and salary cap situation are in a place in which I think it suggests that they should be competing at a higher level than what they are competing right now. But the problem is they can't figure out the quarterback position. They had a chance to to take a look at quarterbacks last year in the draft. They chose to go with the defensive backfield, and I think it was because they thought that they could do something with a veteran quarterback. You know, if you can get a Rodgers or a Russell Wilson or, heck, guys, a Matt Ryan who's been an MVP and and went to the Super Bowl, then that solidifies you as having a championship window. Now, obviously, Rodgers would – I think make more people excited because of his ability, because of his standing within the league. But let's not be revisionist in our history here with how these these current quarterbacks came out of college. You know, not not every one of them. I would say maybe Joe Burrow. I'm talking about the AFC now, okay? And and right now it it, it seems like there are four teams that are set up to have a lot of success here in the near future. Uh, two of them are playing this week in Cincinnati and Kansas City, obviously. Uh, Buffalo and what Josh Allen was able to do this year and put himself in that elite quarterback category. I think with with a guy like Herbert, um, uh, with the Chargers, uh, they would probably be in this category. But what those four franchises have are elite-level quarterbacks that all had question marks coming in, you know, um, Maybe the less so being Joe Burrow because of where he was selected and what he did his last year at LSU. But every one of them was somewhat of a projection. And and there were people that, that you know, thought Mahomes wouldn't work out in the NFL. Or um, Herbert was a guy that I thought, ah, I don't know about Herbert and what he's done at Oregon. So, they're all projections, and, and I say that because th- there's a little bit of a gamble. There's no guarantee, to Mark's point, that you're going to go take one of these guys this year in particular in, in a very down quarterback year and be like, oh, well, he for sure is just like a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert. I, I, don't, I don't think you can say that. And so you, you would definitely take more of the sure bet, which is going to trade for a quarterback that you know can put you not only in the playoffs, but in the final four in the AFC championship game, maybe next year. What is it that that makes it so hard to evaluate the college quarterbacks coming out, Joel? I mean, you played the position like there is, there's so much uncertainty and I know how hard it is to play in the national football league and how much more is on your plate, you know, from the neck up than it at any other point in your life. But from an evaluation standpoint, what makes it so hard? It's so difficult to really grasp how much of the game of football the player grasps at the college level. 
because so much of it is controlled by the coach with the, you know, staring over to the sideline and, and, and then, so that's just from a schematic standpoint, you know, like how much football does this kid really understand? How much can he process? That's incredibly tough to evaluate. Then you, you've also got this situation where the difference at athlete on the field at the college level is so wide compared to the NFL that you can get way overinflated on a player because he plays with a great roster, or you can get, you know, like for instance, in the case of Josh Allen, you can knock him a little bit because you're like, boy, like the production is just not there. You know, it seems like everything is thrown high or there's a lot of drops. And then you realize like, oh, he's just throwing it through the hands of all the small players that are around him. So I think that that's part of it. And then you have to go to just the actual game itself that's played at the college level. And I know that this is a small thing, but it's but it makes a huge, huge difference. And it's twofold. One is the space and then the, uh, the, the, the opportunity to put defenders in conflict because of that space. Okay, let me explain really quickly. The hash marks are way wider in the college level. So that defines the picture um, to a much greater degree than it's defined. And when I say defined, I'm talking about the defensive picture. It makes the defense commit to being either strong to your strength or strong to the field. So they've got to make a decision of how to set their defense. And it's going to become much more apparent to you because of how drastic the difference is in terms of the width of the, the hash marks and the width of the hash marks at the NFL level. So because of that, you can get a, a, a false read on how a guy sees the defense based on the fact that in the college level, you're just going to be able to see it cleaner because of those hash marks. The other aspect of conflict, um, of putting a defender in conflict is not only making him declare pre-snap like you do with the hash marks, but also because the RPO system and the RPOs in general have become so prevalent at the college level, everybody's using them and they, they provide a false sense of confidence for these quarterbacks about how they can put players in conflict, defenders in conflict. And the reason is because linemen can go three yards down the field on a run play and you can still throw it at the college level. In the NFL level, you can't do that. It's one yard for the offensive linemen. And that makes a massive difference in particular in between the numbers with how linebackers are reacting to what you do in the backfield. And in the NFL, that's just not afforded to you. So the windows, because the margin of athlete are smaller, the windows are smaller because they don't have to define their look. The windows are smaller because you can't put the players in conflict and you just don't understand how much of the football is actually on the shoulders of the quarterback. You can ask everybody around the organization. You can ask everybody around the program. You can put the player on the board, but it, it, but you really don't know until you put him out there in a live situation where he doesn't have all of those things to, to really evaluate and see whether he can do it or not. All right. So as we're getting ready for this part of the off season, the evaluation, you're going to have a lot of fans who are going to, play amateur scout we're going to bring up youtube highlight packages of kenny pickett and matt corral and all these quarterbacks to look at and form an opinion what should the amateur 
in all of us be looking for as you look at these quarterbacks, research these quarterbacks, handicap them? What what should we be looking for when we look at their highlights? Well, I think it comes down to one thing, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but it really does come down to one thing. You can understand how a guy plays with his footwork and with his mind and with his ability to throw the ball when you say, is the football on time and on target? So ball placement and the ability to have the football there on time. Um, it's hard to evaluate timing in some of these offensive systems in the college uh, uh, game, but I will tell you that if you're seeing a guy that constantly throws the ball after wide receivers are out of the break or only once wide receivers are open, that's not on time. You might be able to throw it accurately, but that's not on time. So an anticipatory thrower that throws the ball on time and then is accurate with that football. What Peyton Manning was a perfection, you know, I mean, he was so good at late in his career. He was a perfectionist with this is the fact that even without any arm strength whatsoever, he understood that that was the bottom line proposition as a passer in the National Football League is the football had to be in a certain spot at a certain time. So I would say I would boil it all the way down to that. You can look at footwork, you can look at arm strength, you can look at all of these different things, but it comes down to the ability to throw with anticipation on time and to throw with accuracy on target, on time and on target. Yeah, it's... It's a huge thing. There's no question about it. I talk about it all the time on broadcast. When you when you see a guy before he comes out of the break, um, and and that's the big thing. Hey, Joel, I wanted to ask you about this search for the the coach, and you know George Payton, the general manager of the Broncos, came out and basically said, "Hey, man, it's not about having a play caller. It's not about offense or defense. It's about a culture builder. It's about a uh, a guy who can lead our football team and lead our community and lead our players." So. You know, that said, how important in in your mind is that aspect of football compared to, you know, a dude that's a offensive whiz kid or, or whatever the case may be? <laughs> I mean, I know this sounds crazy. I think at the college level, you really got to understand who you're hiring for culture because that, that person is so important to the building and is really the foundation of the culture of the organization. I just don't think that's the case in the NFL. I just, I just don't. And, and you might disagree with me, but I think in the modern day NFL, you know, the, the quarterback is the most important part. He's going to set the identity of the franchise and, and the head coach is important, obviously, but I look at all these guys having success and, and also not having success. And there is a direct link to a quarterback that's playing at an elite level or not. You know, everyone, I saw, you know, I read an article yesterday out of, I think it was out of the post there in Denver. And it was talking about like, oh, you've got to get Kevin O'Connell because, you know, look at all the, the whiz kids coming from Sean McVay's system. And this may be the case. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. But then they cited, you know, a guy like LaFleur and they cited a guy like Kyle Shanahan, it was not under McVeigh, but they had spent time, you know, under Shanny in Washington. And they cited um, Zach, uh, the Zach guy Taylor. in Cincinnati, yep, Zach uh, Taylor. Taylor, Zach Taylor, who played at Nebraska. And, is, you know, I know Zach really well. Well, they all have quarterbacks, guys, you know, like and, and maybe outside of Kyle Shanahan. I think the guy doing the most in the National Football League right now is actually Kyle Shanahan, <laughs> you know, which 
if you want somebody, I would offer him. I would back up the Brinks truck for Kyle Shanahan, to be honest with you. I don't know if Kevin O'Connell can do it. I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett can do it. These guys have either been under, you know, coaches that are calling the plays and now have had great quarterbacks. Or and Nathaniel Hackett's, he's got Aaron Rodgers. So unless he's bringing Aaron Rodgers, can I um, do I know if Nathaniel Hackett's going to be any good? I have no idea. Dan Quinn at least went to a Super Bowl. Now, granted, he had Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan. Matt Ryan was an MVP that year. So, you know, I, I think it's much ado about nothing, to be honest. Everyone's like, you know, wringing their, their hands over who they're going to hire. It doesn't matter, folks. You think John Fox was the answer? No, John Fox wasn't the answer. Peyton Manning was the answer. So I think that we just have to be cognizant of putting the cart before the horse when we're looking at this. Uh, entire process of them hiring. You know, everyone's been out of shape about, well, we got to get this guy for culture. You think culture matters? When it comes down to what we saw last weekend, did, did everyone watch with clear eyes what we saw last weekend? That was a thousand percent quarterback driven. You mean to tell me in the AFC, you're going to be worried about culture when you know you got Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, you got Justin Herbert. You got Josh Allen sitting out there. That was the most demoralizing AFC weekend I think I've ever watched as a, as a Bronco fan. Because it was abundantly clear how far the Broncos are. We're not a coach away. What coach away? A coach. You think culture is going to beat those two teams? No. no. Okay. A quarterback okay. is. All right. You got to go get a quarterback. But while you're in the process of trying to find that quarterback, how much is building a, a winning culture and a standard about how it's done here? How much does that matter? I think that standard has to be held by the owner. And that's that's the other part. I don't know how much you guys have talked about it or not. And I know I've brought it, brought it up, you know, here a couple of times. The owner is, is way more important than the head coach. Because that, that type of winning culture, no excuse culture, has to come from the guy signing the checks. That's why Pat Boland was such a great owner and why I've got so much respect for him and why I'm, I'm so thankful that I grew up when I did where I did is because I grew up in a town in a town where the owner of the NFL franchise, my favorite sport, wanted to win and made it important. And that culture filtered down. So, so I, I don't think that it has to sit in the head coach. I think that the head coach in a lot of ways is is a lieutenant in this whole conversation. You know, he's the general in college football. He's the quarterback and the owner all in one. And in the NFL, you better have an owner that is committed to setting up a culture that is about winning, and you better have a quarterback. And so I think that the, the, the ownership issue with the Broncos being in flux is a is a big deal. And, and until it gets solved, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to, quote, change the culture over at Dove Valley. I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to create and change a culture. And I'm 100% with you on the quarterback, but I also think it goes hand in hand. I think a guy like Joe Burrow comes in and sets a culture in Cincinnati. I think a guy like Mahomes helps set a culture in Kansas City. And so I think they're they're hand in hand things, and I believe they're very – I think the culture of your organization – um, and the accountability of your organization is very important. And we've seen quarterbacks who are really talented who aren't culture setters like Jay Cutler, like, uh, the dude that, uh, what was the guy's, what was the guy's name that was all over the place? It's considered the most talented dude. Oh, Jeff but, George? Jeff, Jeff George, George, you know? So I, I think they do go hand in hand. 
But, you know, I was with you watching the AFC playoffs and seeing and knowing that, hey, Herbert wasn't in. And there's a couple of quarterbacks that are really good, like Lamar Jackson wasn't in. And you're just like, look at where we are right now. The thing that intrigues me about Dan Quinn, and you said this, and and I've said this a couple times on air, is Matt Ryan. Does that open up the possibility of Matt Ryan coming here? Because Matt Ryan um, can play. And so that was one of the things that I, you know, that intrigued me about finding a quarterback. Yeah, and, and, you know, everyone has been saying, like, well, Matt's contract, you can't trade Matt's contract. Well, it's a lot easier to absorb than Aaron Rodgers. I believe Rodgers' number next year is going to be 45, if I'm not mistaken. Now, granted, Denver's in a great position when it comes to the cap. I think they've got over $40 million of cap space. But Matt Matt's number, I believe, is only 30 uh, next year, maybe just north of that. So I think it's it's more absorbable, if you will, um, I know that the, the fully guaranteed amount, you know, I think is somewhere like 95 million, but obviously a lot of that portion has already been paid by the Falcons. I, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I, I certainly, now I know Matt, so I'm probably not the guy to ask because I would say, yeah, that's a no brainer. And he's got a lot of good football in him and he doesn't want to go through a rebuild any, any more than Aaron Rodgers wants to go through a rebuild. And that's exactly where the Falcons are at. So, you know, I think that that's an interesting one. But any one of those guys, I think, gives you a legitimate chance moving forward, even in this division, which is a very tough division. I think in, I think it very quickly became the the toughest division in football. I, I, don't, I don't know if you agree. I know you're a lot closer and cover the league a lot closely, more closely than I do. But I think the AFC West is the top division in football. We got no shot without a really good quarterback, like a top 10 quarterback in the in, in the National Football League. Last one is somebody who spends all of his weekends covering college football. What did you make of the debate, the overtime debate, about what the NFL needs to do, should do, after what happened at the end of Buffalo, Kansas City? Well, a lot of thoughts. One, did I love it? No. I, would, I mean, Josh Allen never touched the ball after he scored with 13 seconds left. Um, you can be mad at the rules or you can say that the bills just puked all over themselves, which they did, you know, Leslie Frazier, uh, what are you doing? You got 13 seconds and he played to prevent a touchdown rather than prevent the, what was it? 40, 45 yards that they needed to get into a legitimate field goal range. And so I thought that the, the overall philosophy of the defense was putrid. You're going to sit there and not put your hands on one wide receiver coming off the line of scrimmage for that entire series? Heck, just grab them, for goodness sakes, because a defensive holding is a lot better than what just happened. I I could not believe it. So I, I was more appalled and frustrated for the Bills fans about the way that they played defense in the last 13 seconds rather than saying, like, Oh, well, overtime's a joke. I mean, I guess, I guess it is. It's a product of quarterback play. I'm sure you guys have seen on social media that, that uh, the statistic floating around where basically in the regular season, the team that wins the toss wins the overtime game a bit over 52% of the time, just over 52% of the time. Well, in overtime, or excuse me, in, in the playoffs, that goes up to over 90% of the time. Why? Because good quarterbacks are in, in the playoffs. 
So this is not a product of the rule being bad. As much as it is, as you get into these settings, you're giving the ball to a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Or a couple of years ago in AFC, you're giving uh, the ball to Tom Brady. In the Super Bowl with the Falcons, you're giving the ball to Tom Brady. Like, that's more a product of what happened in that game other than, like, the rule is, is bad. I don't know how to fix the rule. I do know how to fix what the Bills did, hmm. which is put your hands on Travis Kelsey, for goodness sake. What right. in God's name right. type of uh, defense was that? Well, let me ask you this. You're protecting the sideline when they have two timeouts and they need a field goal. It, it, and by the way, they're in a bunch set. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Thank like you. literally tackle all the wide receivers. Eight million flags come out. Guess what also happens? Six seconds rolls off the clock, maybe more, because Mahomes has nowhere to throw the football. Then he's got to throw it away. And by the time the ball actually hits the ground, the clock stops. You're, you are gaming the system if you just hold the wide receivers. What a, a brutal display of a lack of football knowledge by the Buffalo Bills coaching staff. Real quick, were they spooked by the idea that all it took was getting Tyree Kill just running a crossing route and he just just slices and dices and just sprints through the entire defense was was that how much did that impact what you saw over those last 13 seconds well i'm sure it, it impacted them a great deal which is all the more reason to put your hands on them at the line of scrimmage what's the best way to prevent a wide receiver from getting into the intermediate zones quickly and and running a crossing route getting to top speed Put your hands on them. It, I mean, it, it, it baffles, it baffles my mind. I'm sitting there texting with some buddies. Yeah, I've got some good buddies who played in the league and, and we're all saying the same thing. Like, what is Buffalo doing? Or right. like that, that was a joke. Yeah. That was an the absolute other, joke of defense. The other thing is kick, mortar kick it and make them return it. Kick it down to the five yard yeah. line for crying out loud. Hey, we got it rolled, man. Joel, it's always great catching up, buddy. By the way, I misspoke. I, I, but judging on this website, I think Matt Ryan's cap number might be somewhere more near the forty-five million next year, just like Rodgers. So I don't think you get a cap break from a guy like Matt Ryan over Aaron Rodgers. You guys could correct me on that. No, I think you're about. I think I think, I think you're right. Although Philly was re- ready to take the big cap hit to move on from Carson Wentz, so we'll uh, we'll see how that works out. All right, thank you, Joel. Later, boys. All right, Joel Clapp presented by Audi Flatirons. Coming up next. George Carl said to join us as he takes a look at this uh, Nuggets team as they already one for one on the six game roadie. George Carl, next. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.